Welcome, you're now listening to episode 104 from The Shed End. Theo, how you doing? Not bad, not bad at all. I think it's the first time I'm recording since coming back from Turkey, um, recovering from really bad food poisoning over there. Um, but other than that, the trip was amazing. Um, really, kind of, I love solo traveling. It's really empowering. Kind of got to see uh, the big, big Istanbul derby between Galatasaray and Besiktas, which was a very special game, really good atmosphere. Um, managed to fly back to London just in time in the morning to make it to Stamford Bridge for Chelsea Brentford, which wasn't as entertaining. Let's put it like that. Um, yeah. But yeah, back in London now, back in the routine. Um, weather's not really as nice as it was in Turkey, um, but looking forward to the big game on Sunday as well, which we're going to get into at the end of this episode. How are you doing? It's a massive game. Um, yeah, I'm not too bad. I'm not bad. You know, obviously, as you can hear, if you, if you know me, this is not Barry White. This is actually me talking. Um, so yeah, just suffering with the flu again. It's that time of year where, you know, like yourself, I've not been in hotter climates. So I've been suffering with the cold weather for the past couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, I'm good, you know, apart from... Which we'll get into, obviously, the Spurs game, Brentford games, a lot. I mean, we've, we've taken a bit of a break from recording, obviously, with the traveling and just me not being well as well. So, um, good to get back into it as always. Um, but before we get into this episode, please make sure you go to YouTube, make sure you subscribe to the channel. Um, yeah, make sure you go to our Linktree link as well. Make sure you hit all the, the notifications there, all the social accounts. Make sure you follow all of those as well. And and yeah, and everyone who entered the competition, I don't know if we've actually had any responses back from anyone or any of the winners, but hopefully you've all received your prizes now. Um, if you haven't, then again, DM us, let us know, reach out to us and let us know if you have or haven't got those as well. But um, yeah, so a bit more about Turkey and then let's, let's, let's get into Turkey a little bit. Yeah, tri- trip was amazing. Um, food poisoning aside, it was an amazing trip. Um, and it's always been on my bucket list to, to go see Galatasaray um, in their stadium. Um, and then when I was there, it happened to kind of, kind of um, coinc- um, be at the same time as they were playing at um, Besiktas, big, yeah. big rivalry. And then a couple of days later, they played Bayern Munich in the Champions League, managed to get a ticket to the Istanbul derby, not the Champions League game. Um, and it was amazing. Um, the whole process of getting a ticket was a bit, was very difficult. You need to kind of link your account to your passport. Um, members have priority like they do for Chelsea. Um, it was a very expensive price. I ended up paying in the end. Um, definitely worth it. Um, and getting into the stadium was quite a bit of a nightmare as well. Got there three hours in advance, left my hotel three hours before kickoff, made it in my seat as they kicked off. Um, oh my God. Yeah, it was hectic. Transport. Um, I didn't realize I had to collect my actual ticket with my passport at the kind of a box office. And right, okay. the, Tur- the Turks don't really do queuing as well. Um, oh, so it was like first come first it's a, whoever's there it's a free for all in a way people pushing and barging past you right. um, and then another thing I've come mentioning to you offline is um, I've only bought one half and half scarf all my life I'm not really for the idea of half and half scarves for me you support one team and that's the team you support which for me is Chelsea but the one half and half scarf I bought was when I was a, oh, maybe, I was maybe 16 or 17 at the time and it was when Didier Drogba came back to Stamford Bridge in Galatasaray colours, March 2014, I believe it was, and played against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. So I bought a half and half scarf, which had Galatasaray on one side and Chelsea on the other. Yeah, um, It stayed in my cupboard for a while, but I thought it was a nice little memory of that game. And also the Turkish fans, Galatasaray fans were crazy that day. Um, I thought it'd be nice to bring that scarf to Istanbul, get a picture of me with a scarf 
in a stadium kind of showing. I'm watching Galatasaray. I'm a Chelsea fan who's come all the way from London for this game. Um, except that they're not really keen on the idea of bringing other teams' colours into the stadium, let alone whether that's a Premier League team, a Turkish team, a French team. Mm. So I get into the kind of security checks. I get through. I get to the stage of the turnstile at this, at this point and the guy points to the scarf and said, what's that? And I said, oh, it's a Chelsea scarf. Don't worry, it's not Fernabache. It's not um, Besiktas. It's yeah, not... Yeah, it's not, not exactly. And then um, he says, no, 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 no. <laughs> like that. And he, po- he points, he literally points to a bin. He points to a bin. And I said, no, no, I'm, I'm, this has got, you know, it's got sentimental value. I'm not putting it in the bin. Oh, I'll leave man. it. I'll leave it here with these bags. And then when I leave the stadium, I'm going to come pick it up. And he just nodded his head. Um, I left that for just before full time and I look at my scarf and it's not there anymore. It must have been oh. in a rubbish bag somewhere. Um, he might have taken I, it home. He could have taken he might it, stolen it as, yeah. as a souvenir. He, Honestly as well, he could have just taken it as a souvenir for himself. I wouldn't be surprised, but then I think I read a bit into it after and I think the colour blue is banned from the stadium for right, some reason. Okay. And Galatasaray fans maybe spit on the colour blue, so that could also be why I wasn't allowed to bring the Chelsea scarf in. Probably done you a favour, to be fair. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> Maybe looking back, um, it, he did me a solid, but um, whether he kept the scarf, whether it's in a bin, I don't know. But either way, I've lost my one and only half and half scarf now. Good, good. Good, yeah. I, but you might go back to Turkey, you know, next year and you might just see someone walking around with a half and half Chelsea Galatasaray Yeah, seventeen seventeenth of March 2014 written on it somewhere. Yeah, like, from the day do, to the match. I mean, we know that it didn't go in the bin, which, no. is, which would be mental, but... Yeah, it's bizarre. I mean, I've had some stories like that, not with scars, but with um, just items that, not even me, but like people I've been with at games or I remember me and my wife, we went to um, the Etihad for a concert. So it was non-football related, but and I don't know why women do this, but they always bring out like a bottle of perfume with them. I don't know why they do that. And uh, yeah, the guy tried to take that off us on, on uh, the Etihad as well. Um Luckily, it was at the wrong block. Like, we walked around to the wrong side of the Etihad. So we had to walk all the way back round. And the other guy was just so... It's almost like he just didn't care what you brought into the stadium. Yeah. It was just like, yeah, whatever, just walk through. Um, he didn't even search us. You know, normally they pat you down yeah. as you go in. He just said, no, no, just come through. It's all right, don't worry. And it was a bit like, okay, so the other guy around there was basically <laughs> going to collect all these perfumes and whatever and just probably Resell keep half them. of them. Yeah. yeah, because they were, I mean, the bottle that my wife had was really, it was like, you know, a costly bottle of perfume. So, you know, you wouldn't throw that in the bin because it's, just, well, why would you do that? So, yeah, yeah it's, bizarre. it's a bizarre one. And it, I I, was, I'm assuming yeah. he never said anything, did it, beforehand, like to say you no, can't bring no, blue. No. So. I think my, my Turkish friend just mentioned they'll bring liquids, they'll bring cameras, they'll bring portable yeah. chargers, but she never mentioned blue or scarves. And yeah. um, another bizarre experience with Mexico, I had to, I wasn't allowed to bring in my belt going into the Azteca Stadium. They confiscated my belt. <laughs> so I literally had to take my belt off, had my jeans almost down to my knees at the end of the game. Um, but I think it's... Oh. But I don't look like a malicious fan or anything, but maybe they thought I could whip someone with a belt. So I don't know why it is, but it's crazy. Yeah. It's absolutely bonkers. Some of the things you've got to do just to go and watch a game of football. But um, speaking of a game of football, what we were treated to a brilliant one on Monday. I mean, you know, if anyone who hasn't watched the game or didn't know, um, what a game, you know, Spurs versus Chelsea. Um, brilliant result in the end for us. I mean, we made hard work of it, but... You know, it was a good performance in spells. I think even when there was eleven v eleven. But I want to get your thoughts first. Um, initially, with the lineups, and then obviously into the game because I think 
there's a lot to unpick from it. But just in terms of the lineup, were you surprised by it? And then obviously what unfolded in the game, do you think it swung in our way, in our favour? It's always a bonkers fixture when Chelsea plays Spurs and it never really disappoints you thinking back at it. I think when Spurs beat us 5-3, the Battle of the Bridge in 2016, the 2-2 draw, um, there's always been some good fixtures, even the semi-final at Wembley when we beat them 4-2 with the Matic Rocket. It's a brilliant fixture of football and I know that neutrals absolutely love watching Spurs against Chelsea. Um, Starting with the lineup, I was quite surprised that Colwell started at um, left-back especially when you've got both Cucurella and Matson on the bench. I know that Chilwell isn't quite fit yet, but uh, it's a bit kicking the teeth for both those left-backs who have a centre-back starting ahead of them. Um, other surprises, maybe Jackson starting, if I'm completely honest. I know he got his hat-trick in the end, but when I did see the starting eleven, I thought given his performance against Brentford, which was absolutely dire and dull, I thought maybe it was a chance to play over that hybrid number nine, which um, Carl Palmer was selling did so well against um, Arsenal um, in the fixture a couple of weeks ago. So I would have maybe started with um, potentially um, Palmer as a false nine with Sterling on one side or and Madueke on Madrid on the other um, with the, the usual three midfielders. But I think those were the only real big surprises in the starting 11. Um, I think the rest of it um, did make, make sense. Obviously, Rhys James back in the lineup, fit, captain, right back. I think that made sense, especially that he got his minutes against um, Blackburn. And against Brentford, I feel. Um, so yeah, lineup, no big surprises except for maybe the left back and striker position. The game in itself, I was absolutely petrified for this game. I think I even messaged you before kickoff saying I'm always tempted to switch the TV off because I'm given our form, giving given Spurs form, and Ange Postacoglu hadn't lost a home game with with all the teams he's managed since November 2020. So I felt like everything was pointing in the direction of a Spurs win. Um, and then the first 10 minutes kind of echoed that. They got their their goal through a, I want to say, a fortunate goal, but I feel like Colwell's got to close him down. He's got to oh, close yeah. Kuleveski down and he just almost turns it back at him. So it deflects off his bum and goes past Sanchez. And then you're thinking, oh shit, here we go again. Son then scores, disallowed. Um, <clears throat> then I believe we score through Sterling, uh, disallowed for the handball. Then they look back at the uh, Romero kick, which I thought was a straight red. You can't lash out like that. Even if it's a, it's a bit of contact, it's still contact and it's malicious and he knows what he's doing as well. Uh, how yeah. far doesn't intervene and give a red, I don't know. Then I think we score through Caicedo overall because Jackson, I believe, is off, in an offside position and blocking Vicario's vision. But then in the build-up to that disallowed goal, it's Romero who does some horrendous challenge on Enzo Fernandez and is rightfully so given a red card. And then we get awarded a penalty. Palmer converts, called Palmer, I'm going to call him, because it was a <laughs> decent penalty. It was I did, yeah. Yeah, I did, I did think from the angle they showed at first that um, Vicario saved it, but it's kind of, I think he might have got a finger to it, which he went against fingers. post. Got, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it went in. Um, I'm going to give a shout out to Vicario though because he was absolutely brilliant on the day. Was, I feel like was. if it wasn't for him, it could have been maybe five or six for Chelsea um, before the added time. Um, and then how the game unfolded after that, it was the doggy challenge for me. Mm. For me, I want to talk about that for a minute because he doesn't make contact with Sterling, but both his feet are off the ground. And if Sterling doesn't pull out, that's a studs up challenge with both feet on his ankle or his shin. And that's a leg breaker. And that's possibly yeah. even a career breaker. 
So I know there's no contact, but the actual movement and the action of it and the intent of it is horrendous. And for me, that's the red card. It should have been a red card. I know that both players that were initially um, given yellows were then kind of sent off afterward to get in later on in the game. And it almost felt like karma or destiny. And it's quite iconic, <laughs> ironic that he is called destiny, um, a doggy. But yeah, how how far they didn't kind of send him off, I don't know. And then second half, Spurs play this ridiculous high line, which didn't really seem to work in their favour because the amount of times we kind of managed to get past that high line, a lot of times in offside positions through Jackson or Gallagher or other players, but we got past it quite easily. And that's how we scored the, the, the last three goals of the game through, um, through Nicholas Jackson, the hat-trick. It was a short, uh, an easy pass through that high line, which then kind of meant that we had two players or one player through on goal, simple pass to lay onto Jackson and 2-1 and then another one, 3-1. And then finally Jackson kind of selfish, didn't want to pass it to Mudrick. I went for the glory and the hat-trick and made it 4-1. Um, brilliant game in the end. Um, it was a bit nerve-wracking, given that also the Dyer um, slight offside for his goal. They look really dangerous in set pieces towards the end. Um, but yeah, really entertaining game. It finished with a headache for me because I just had so much to process from it all. But but yeah, um, brilliant game, but also, like you said, brilliant spells. There were also times that were a bit worrying, given that we couldn't fin- kind of kill the game off against a nine-man Spurs team. Yeah, and and it was it's worrying for me because I I feel the the game. I mean, when you when you play Spurs, it's always going to be difficult anyway. And with eleven v eleven, you know, I, I think Spurs started the game really well. I thought the Kulusevski goal was avoidable, like you said. I think Cowell has to close him down. He turns his back towards Kulusevski at one point when the shot's being taken as well. I think as a defender, you've got to be a lot stronger in that in that position, and you've got to be able to to close that that ball down, you know, close the man down from being able to take that shot. Um, I think we pressed on though. I, I, there was some really positive signs in terms of our attacking threat going forward. I was surprised as like you was about Nicholas Jackson even being in the team. I don't think either of us had him in the squads before that. I don't think the lineup. So um, yeah, it was, it was, it, I mean, look, he, he, he got a hat trick, but I think it was the most shameless hat trick he's probably ever going to score because he just, you know, I, I still look at him as a player and I'm not just trying to single him out, but he still, before that hat trick, you know, I was actually saying he, he's rubbish. You know, he's not doing what he needs to do as a striker. He just, he's, you know, there's no conviction in the box from him. There's no, people say there is, but I don't see the real movement from an attacking threat from him in the box. Um, and if there is, he's offside. You know, he's always offside. He's always the wrong side of his defender. It was just, it was just one of those sort of typical. Had it been eleven v eleven, I think it would have been obviously a totally different story. You know, we wouldn't have been talking about four one. It could have been a draw. Could have been us. You know, losing in the end. But you know, I think. And look, I mean, Spurs helped us. <laughs> Let's be honest. You know, Romero gets sent off so early for a stupid challenge. You know, uh, your fellow countrymen. In, you know, it doesn't make any sense. sense. And you're already on the yellow. You're already on the yeah. yellow from the previous one as well. Yeah, yeah. So I don't, I, I mean, I didn't get it. I didn't understand why he felt he needed to make that challenge, whether it was just a very, I, you know, I think he's a really good defender. I do, you know, not to credit Spurs too much, but I think, you know, Romero's a really good defender on this day. I just think he's got that other side of him that he needs to get out of his system or how he plays football. Um, but yeah, po- positives from, from us, Cole Palmer, Again, I thought it was really good. You know, really, really good player. Um, you know, I thought he, I thought he scuffed the penalty. I'll be honest. I did think he was going to scuff it, and 
You know, again, I always question, why isn't our striker taking the penalties? You know, why isn't someone who needs a bit of confidence? Not to say that Cole Palmer shouldn't be taking them, but, you know, you've got Nicholas Jackson who hasn't scored that many goals, you know, needs to try and get a bit more consistency in how he's playing his, his football. He should be taking the penalties for me, you know. Um, and for him not to take them, not to grab the ball, almost like Palmer did to Sterling a couple of weeks ago and say, look, you know, I want to take this one. I want to see that from my striker, but credit to Cole Palmer. Um, as I said, very shameless from Nicholas Jackson, in my opinion, to to celebrate and, and the almost, celebrations. Yeah, yeah, it was the you know he did he did the Sue, you know he did the Ronaldo celebration. I think for the third goal and just uh, just after the game, very. I, I, I'm not taking anything away from him because you still have to convert the goals, but I agree with you. We struggled against you know eight, eight outfield players. No, including the goalkeeper there's nine but with eight outfield plays we struggled to break them down and we shouldn't have done that with the quality that we had on and off the field you know even the subs coming on you know there was still enough on there for us to, to be able to try and get something out of this team but um, interesting I I re- one be- Sorry. yeah I was quickly going to say I read something I think Spurs finished the game with only three outfield players they started the game with given the injuries to Van der what's his name uh, Van der Veer. Yeah. And um, and uh, Madison as well, and then the substitutions well. they made. Um, I mean, from a Chelsea point of view, oh, those injuries were very unfortunate, given they they were kind of muscular injuries, no contact. But yeah. um, this could maybe spell a bit of a scare for Spurs. I know they've been oh, so yeah. consistent and good at the start of the season, but those are arguably two of their most their best performing players. Um, they've got two suspensions now to Doggy and Romero. It could be trouble for them in the next couple of games or next couple of weeks and months, but. You can just, as a Chelsea fan, you can only maybe enjoy it, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And going back to that Romero Romero challenge, I think Enzo Fernandez did actually come off injured because of that challenge or uh, aftermath of the challenge. Yeah, he put something on Instagram, I think, saying yeah. he's going to be okay, I think. but Yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it was a bad challenge. So, I, I mean, he might feel okay, but, you know, give it a couple of days maybe today, tomorrow. Hopefully we might find out a bit more from uh, Maurizio Potticino as we're recording this, obviously, press conference hasn't happened yet so um we'll have to see but very positive you know puts us back in the top half of the table just about you know sitting at the very bottom of the top half of the table um and we will talk about man city later on uh, in the episode as well to, to understand how we might be able to break those that, that, that sort of team down um later on but i want to talk about a player that's hopefully going to return after the international break very, very soon. Someone that I think every Chelsea fan is hoping will bring a new lease of life into the attack is Christopher Nkunku. Um, I, I, I do feel there's a lot of pressure for a player who hasn't played a competitive game for Chelsea already. And I think this comes from the manager because the manager quite often references Nkunku coming back into the team and, you know, Nicholas Jackson needs Nkunku and we need to have Nkunku back. So I feel there's a lot of pressure for a player that hasn't actually kicked a football in the Premier League for us yet already. Um, do you share that same view or do you feel that, you know, for, for the type of player that we've got in Nkunku, he should be able to come in and hopefully just fit into the team and, and kickstart his season? A lot of pressure, uh, like you said. And even I'm, I know a lot of Chelsea fans every time results didn't go our way this season. We always play the cards. Oh, but Nkuku's injured and he still needs to return and he's going to fit into this team and score his goals and hopefully get us points and win matches. Um, and I'm guilty of doing that as well. I know that when we beat, we lost to Brentford, when we lost to Forest, we drew with Bournemouth. I always played the card way till Nkuku's back because this guy's good. 
um, top goal scorer in the Bundesliga last season level, I think, on goals with um, Nico, Nico Fuigberg, um, who's now at Borussia Dortmund. Um, that he also missed about half the season uh, last year with injury as well. So this guy's clearly got a track record of injuries, which isn't the best thing you want to hear as a Chelsea fan. Um, but he seems to be making good progress in training. I think he's back in the gym now. And Fabrizio Romano mentioned that Chelsea are looking to kind of reintroduce him to training and hopefully match day squads after the international break, which I think is only yeah. a couple of weeks away now. Um, so hopefully come end of November, he'll be back in the squads. And I do expect to see him beginning of December back in or back on the pitch. Um, it's, it's crazy to think we haven't seen him since that Dortmund friendly back at the start of uh, August. Um, but I think there's huge pressure. There is huge pressure. I think he was on marquee signing from the summer that we thought would come to Chelsea, hit the ground running and hopefully get those 20 goals a season that we needed to really kick off the, the Pochettino era. Um, and we haven't really seen it yet given the unfortunate injury. Um, I think it is going to take him time and I think we have to be sensible of the way we reintroduce him into the team. We can't rush things given his injury record, given what the situation that's happened of Chilwell and James in the past as well. Um, so we need to definitely manage his minutes and I know we've got a very busy December uh, fixture list and schedule coming up so we can't expect to see him play uh, maybe two games a week. It might have to be one game a week and maybe 60 minutes of, of that one game. Um, but I do have high expectations for him. I do really think he's an exciting player. He's still very young. He's still very raw. But from what I've seen at, um, from him at um, RB Leipzig, um, he's been really exciting. I saw him come off the bench at the Stade de France when I went to the um, France-Greece friendly uh, back in June. And he looks like a good player as well. And I'm still unsure where he'll fit in in this Chelsea system. Who will he replace in a team? Will it be Cole Palmer? Will it be Sterling? Will it be um, Gallagher potentially? It's still um, kind of question marks on his position and where he'll slot in. Um, but all I'm hoping is that his first goal celebration, he'll pull out that blue balloon this time. And I think it's an um, early fixture at Old Trafford. So it'll be yeah. exciting to yeah, see yeah. The, blue, the blue balloon come out at Old Trafford perhaps. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. I, I, I am. I mean, I, and not not to be sort of negative at all, but I think he's, you know, obviously got a lot of expectation, but he comes with the quality that comes, you know, with that is why the expectation's there. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing him. And I, I personally think maybe, and I've been heavily, heavily critical about this before, you know, before he was injured was, you know, a lot of people said, you know, he can play striker, you know, he can play as a, almost as a striker at times as well. And I thought, well, we didn't really sign him as a striker. We didn't want him to play as a striker. But the way that we've set up now with Cole Palmer, Conor Gallagher, you know, um, Raheem Sterling and at times uh, Nani Madweki playing on the right side as well, it could actually make sense to play in Kunku as our striker. Should we not be able to sign um, Victor Oshman? Should we not be able to sign... Uh, Ivan Tony, which I doubt we will now. So for this season, especially with the one game a season, um, obviously with the cups as well. But in terms of one game a week, this could actually suit Nkunku just coming into finding his feet. We we need a goal scorer. We know someone that can, like you said, can try and get us at least you know fifteen to twenty goals. Um, he could be that guy. So you know, personally for me, I probably play him as a striker. Whether whether that works, I don't know. We still got Broya there as well, but um. It's a tricky one for Pochettino because who do you take out the team um, to include Nkunku? It's, it's it's a difficult one really, isn't it? Yeah, really difficult. Like I mentioned, you're kind of unsure if you're going to play him as a striker, which means you have to drop Jackson or Broya when he's back in the team. Do you play him just behind the striker, which is more the Gallagher role now, kind of just ahead of the, 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 the holding midfielders? Or do you play him either side of the striker, which kind of means do you look at dropping Sterling, Madweke, Madrik, 
um, those players. So it's going to be, I'm, I'm trying to remember where we played him in preseason because he looked really sharp. And um, I think he was like, behind a striker. Behind Nicholas Jackson. But I remember the Jackson yeah. and Cuckoo link-up play was very exciting to watch. Yeah. So I think yeah. maybe kind of replicating what we did in preseason could maybe be the best fit for Nkuku. Hmm. Be interesting. I want to I want to know who comes out of the squad. I want I'd I'd love to know who could who could be pull out of that squad because I think on form, I mean on form, I would say that Conor Gallagher has to keep his 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 role. Um I I would say Raheem Sterling always has a goal in him. So I wouldn't want to take him out and Cole Palmer's been really good. So it'd be interesting. I'm glad I'm not Maurizio Potticino right now, to be fair. It's a big, it's a big one. But um yeah, but you've got managed minutes. December's gonna be a really um busy, is, is. busy busy list of fixtures. So I'm expecting rotation as well throughout December. No, you're right. You're right. You know, we've got Newcastle coming up at end of November. It starts December starts with Brighton. Um then three days later it's United, then we have uh, Everton away on the tenth. Sheffield United on the 16th, Newcastle in the um, EFL Cup and Christmas Eve, which is so bizarre. But Christmas Eve, we play Wolves, uh, Palace again on the 27th of December and then uh, the 30th, we play Luton on the 30th. So it's a massive, you know, congested fixture list there. And I think you're right. We have to manage Nkuku's minutes very wisely, make sure he doesn't have some sort of, you know, follow on from the injury that he's already picked up and and yeah just manage him manage him correctly I think that's the, the only thing we can do so you're probably right maybe you know, give him the Lutons give him you know the Crystal Palace games give him the Sheffield United rotate him sub him on and off like we've had to do with Reese James and some other players as well so I think you're right there but um yeah let's let's switch to Chelsea women obviously the, the announcement was made I think Tuesday, maybe Tuesday, Wednesday this week, that Emma Hayes won't be renewing her contract at the club, um, which was, for me anyway, I don't know about yourself, but and other Chelsea fans, but it was out of the blue because it was just never, I don't think there was any, there was much talk before the announcement of contract renewals or potential leaving of the club or or anything like that. I think it just, for me, it just came out of the blue a little bit. Um, there has been talk about Paul Wynn Stanley who, was meant to be negotiation and hand, handling contract negotiations with Emma Hayes. And that apparently broke down at some point. Um, and now there is talk of Emma Hayes going to the um, Na- United States women's national team, I believe to, to go over there. So is that something, I mean, what's your views on that? I mean, is it something that could potentially after all the success of the, the Chelsea women's team, you know, could that be the end of a new era era? You know, could, could we see, someone who doesn't have that level of success and that level of consistency winning things at Chelsea women, uh, uh, you know, for the next foreseeable. Yeah. I mean, like you said, it did kind of come out of the blue. There were no kind of rumours or news reports indicating that she wanted to leave or she was looking to leave. So I think maybe those negotiations which were delayed kind of pushed her to to look at and assess options elsewhere. Um, She's been absolutely fantastic for us. 12 years at um, at Chelsea managing the women's team and she's won almost every trophy there is to win. I think she actually has won every trophy there is to win. Um, Countless um, women's Super Leagues, FA Cups, um, amazing Champions League runs as well. Um, And also what I love is the relationship she has with her players. She seems to almost be that motherly figure for her her players and she's always managing with a big smile on the touchline as well. So she's a, a huge kind of uh, figure around um, Cobham and uh, Chelsea football club as a whole. Um, in terms of her move to the women's national um, international women's team, uh, USA, 
I think it's brilliant for the women's game. Honestly, if I'm completely honest, I think it's a great sign that the women's game is progressing in the right direction. I think she's probably one of the best managers in the in the sports um, with women's football. And I think the biggest job you can have in women's football is managing the US USA national team, in my opinion. So it feels like a great match. And it's always exciting to see um, English talent go kind of transcontinental to other other nations and doing a good job there. Um, so I think it's exciting move for her obviously for her family it's going to be a big change leaving the UK and going there and not managing every week but instead maybe having the odd game every couple months Um, so maybe it's a nice break for her as well perhaps she won't be as um, busy she won't have the stress or intensity as she has as the in the Chelsea job currently. And I, if I'm completely honest, I feel like she's earned it as well. Like I said, 12 years at Chelsea, she's won countless trophies. So maybe in her career, um, she might want a new challenge. Uh, she's, I'm sure she's very ambitious. Um, she might want to manage a team throughout a World Cup campaign as well. So um, yeah, I'm really excited for her. But also if it was, like you said, maybe perhaps a new era, given how successful we've been with the women's team, who's going to come in and replace her? Will that person be as successful? It's going to be uh, interesting to see how things plan out. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think one of the things I did read on this uh, was around work-life balance, and I think because I know she's she's a mum, you know, she's a mother first before anything. So, I think you know that does must play a massive factor when you're travelling up and down, you know, the country week in, week out, weekend in and out as well. You know, you got games in the week, you've got games at the weekend, uh, training. So it's a massive commitment, and I think you know if you've got kids, then obviously. You know, you have to split your time very wisely. And I'd I'd assume as a football manager, a lot of your time is predominantly around the football club rather than your family. So I do think that's a massive thing. I think that'll be a massive factor as to why she's probably switched from club to, um, you know, international football. Because as you said, as much as you still have a lot of preparing and a lot of preparation for tournaments, for games, for friendlies, whatever, you know, there's a lot more of that that you can probably do away from the club, well, away from, you know, the USA team itself. So, uh, yeah, credit to her, you know, I think she deserves it. I think she's she's definitely um, put herself in good stead for not just women's football, but, you know, football as a whole. You know, I think there's there's definitely a door open for, for women's managers to, to walk into, you know, the men's game. And, and managing that level as well because I think she's one of those managers that could probably arguably do better than some of the managers that we've got currently in, in the football league and that's no I'm thinking back I think Saul Campbell's been a manager at one point you know what I mean so you know there's a lot of people in there that she could easily step toe to toe with in, in, in the men's game so I think she's a credit to women's football but also to, to football in general and like you said to win pretty much everything that's been available to win I think um Credit to her, you know, you can't really kind of take your hats off to her uh, anymore. But um, I was trying to think of the, I did know who the, the front runner is to replace her and it's just gone literally out of my head. Um, I think she was at Manchester United before. So it's completely out of my head. I will find it before the episode ends. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's also talk about Sam Kerr leaving as well. I mean, this, this is why I say it could be the domino effect of all of these things happening. And if Paul and Stanley should have got this deal done, for Emma Hayes, I mean, it doesn't surprise me if that's the case because we've seen it previous times, um, you know, with, with again, different um, regimes, but with Rudiger, with, you know, Christensen's deals not being done properly and um, even Mason Mount recently, you know, there's obviously contract talks that's stored there as well. So it does seem that there's things behind the scenes that aren't as they should be. And I think that is, a, for me, as a fan of the club, women's or men's football, 
um, it's a worry because, you know, we have got some big players at the club, you know, we want to make sure we bring the right players in and, and get deals done as soon as possible. You know, I don't think we should be stalling, on, especially someone like Emma Hayes, who's you know, given her life and soul to the club, you know, got the, the the women's team where it is today to, it feels a bit very disrespectful in a way to, to, to not honour, you know, the fact that she's done so much. Yeah, it almost feels like she's not, she's not getting pushed out, but she's kind of going with her plan B rather than her plan A, perhaps. Um, but you made a very good point about the kind of work-life balance. And I kind of wanted to touch on the Chelsea Wolves fixture on the 24th of December. Yeah. For me, that's that's bonkers. For the fans, for the players, for the management team. And I know that a lot of the players that we have are from other European countries and a lot of countries around Europe celebrate Christmas on the 24th. The French players that Pochino mentioned in Argentina, they celebrate on the 24th, the Italians, the Spanish as well. So I don't know about that one. It seems like, I don't think it's the first time they've done it since the 70s or 80s, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Um, by the time the fans get back home after the tra- they travel to, to the black country, they're going to come back uh, probably late in the evening with the coaches or the trains. But I'm not sure if trains operate on Christmas Eve, but, but yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a, weird decision and to have it with Chelsea as well it's not like it's two London teams playing each other it's still yeah. Chelsea Wolves so so yeah I'm really not I'm I'm against that idea and I'm kind of annoyed that we don't have a fixture two days before Christmas and a fixture on Boxing Day that's the way I like it spread out um, yeah. so yeah kind of just wanted to touch on that of the kind of work-life balance of these players and uh, kind of what happens behind the scenes with their families their kids their their personal lives but, but yeah yeah I mean I I I didn't even, you know me already, I don't attempt to get match day tickets as much as I used to anymore. But I did read that I think Chelsea are putting on coaches for all the go, uh, match go match day going fans for the Wolves game, uh, which I thought was a nice gesture. But let's have a bit more common sense. Let's not do this next season because it's stupid. You know, there's people that probably are doing last minute Christmas shopping or they're traveling to go and see their families on Christmas Eve to spend it with them if they don't live with them already. Um, there's so many, I mean, the motorways are going to be mental on Christmas Eve anyway. So I, I just, I mean, obviously TV purposes is the only real reason I can see as to why you would move a game to Christmas Eve, which is still stupid, but... I'd, I'd assume it's for TV rights, you know, for, for people to make more money um, and not actually give a, a, a shit about the, the fans that actually turn up to the stadiums. And it could ruin our Christmas day as well as Chelsea fans. <laughs> and it could ruin our Christmas day. I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. You don't want to be waking up Christmas morning after a defeat to Wolves, do you? So there is that to, to consider as well. But um, before we wrap up, let's talk about, obviously, as you said at the very start of this episode, um, Manchester City on Sunday is a massive game for us. And I know I say that very often on here, but this is a, a massive game because we, we're at that critical point of the, the season now where we spoke on here a couple of times about, you know, we, we're getting into that December period, that very busy period where, you know, we were struggling to beat Luton, struggling to beat Nottingham Forest and all these teams that we should have beaten. Um, and now we're coming up to that period where we're playing teams that on paper and on form should be beating us. You know, Spurs on paper, on form, maybe not paper, but on form, should have beat us. Um, Man City, a team that very rarely, very rarely drop points. Um, how confident are you going into this game on Sunday that we can go to Stamford Bridge, pick up three points and carry on the season as we should have been doing at the start? 
I'm more confident after the Spurs win. I know they were they had two men sent off. Um, we they we had every opportunity to score lots of goals, but I think it would do the world of good to the players for their confidence. The likes of Nicholas Jackson, he scored three goals in one game against Spurs away from home. It's 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 a big kind of personal achievement for him. Um, but it was all about Man City here, a team we haven't scored a goal against since the Champions League final in Porto. Um, we played them four times last season. Uh, two one nil defeats, one four nil defeats and one two nil defeats. Mm-hmm. And they just seem like despite their injuries to Haaland, De Bruyne, they find ways to win games, score goals. I think the only time I've watched them this season and I thought oh, they don't look like they're that good was against Arsenal at the Emirates. They look quite lackluster and poor. And then I think the following week they beat, was it Bournemouth? I think 6-1 or maybe I think there might be a Wolves defeat in between there, but they're Man City, they're robots. They, 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 they get these wins and they've got the best manager in the world managing them as well. Um, so yeah, I think it's going to be very tough. I do think we, we're more likely to, to get a result from this type of fixture than we were last season where we just looked like we were going into this game destined to lose. Um, and I do think maybe having the home advantage might help us. Um, I really think maybe the fans will have a bit more motivation, a bit more encouragement for the team after the Spurs win because, again, against Brentford, it was just so lacklustre from a atmosphere perspective as well. Um, but yeah, I'm very... I think it. I think it'll be close. I think there's one goal between the two teams, but I'm still not optimistic that we can get the three points. I'm not. I'll be honest. I think if this was, I think the Spurs game was like an infragment of an imagination. It was such a. It looked really good. If you look back in a couple of years and we see that we beat Spurs four one, it, it sounds brilliant. But the performance itself didn't thrill me. When it was eleven v eleven, when it was. 10 v 11 when it was 9 v 11 I was never I think you said it before you know I was never really comfortable that we were still going to beat Spurs even you, cracked, nine you, you, you cracked open a beer at you one day I did, I did. I, that was a beer of nerves because I was like, this could actually still go 2-2 because Spurs was still on the attack you know and, uh, that's not to say that you know City would be a totally different game and I think we have to be very switched on I'll be very I, uh, I mean, obviously, we'll know in a couple of hours. You know, obviously, when we, we hear about the press conference, who's who's available, who's not. But the defense for me on Sunday is going to be so crucial. Um, I'm still not a big fan of Colwell starting at left back, especially when you've got Ian Matson, when you've got um, Mark Correa on the bench. You know, and we had to bring him on. We didn't really speak about that, but we had to bring him on against Spurs because of Colwell's sort of outbursts during the first half um, to bring on Kukure. We'll just start with him because he's a left back and you know that he can play left back and you know that he's, he, you know, he, he's had ups and he's improving. He's had ups and downs, but he's, he's I was going to say he's improving now. And I just think Cowell is more effective at, at centre-back. Now, that's very harsh because I thought Thiago Silva was brilliant on Monday. Um, I also think Badia Shil, when he's come back into the team, was was brilliant. So, and Dezazi as well, another player that's been brilliant. So I, I think it's harsh for one of those players to drop out of the, the centre-back partnership. But I think if Colwell's not in that team, I'm not really that disappointed. But play a left-back at left-back, please. Stop playing centre-backs at left-back. I think that would be the worst thing we can do against... Um, I'm trying to think who'd probably play on the right side for City. Probably be, might be Foden. Could be a mixture of any of them. Um yeah, yeah, it could be any of them that free. Because um, I think Doku's more of a left side, so I think they switch Foden to the right side. But 
whoever whoever it is, both those sides, Reese James and Cowell slash Cucurella, are going to be in for a, 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 I mean, Doku, I've watched him a couple of times already this season and he is a, a brilliant player. Um, so I'm worried. I am worried about the game. I'll be honest, I am. Um, Striker-wise, who would you go with? I mean, we're going to do we're going to do predictions and predicted lineup shortly. So, um, but would you would you stick with the traditional Nicholas Jackson, or would you probably um, go with the false nine, or go with the you know the Cole Palmer type player, or Raheem Sterling? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what um, Poch says in his press conference to see who's fit, who's kind of sidelined with a potential knock or injury. I'm getting a an update on Enzo as well. Um, Mudrick came on and got minutes against Spurs. So we could potentially see Palmer, Sterling, Mudrick. Um, but again, I mean, like you, I'm not thrilled by Jackson's performances and it was a shameless hat-trick against Spurs. But it was three goals. It was a hat-trick. And you would think his confidence is sky high at the moment. So I hate to say it, but you've got to start Jackson, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and if it doesn't go to plan, you bring him off after 45 minutes and you change things. But I think I would start with a number nine and, and it has to be Nicholas Jackson. Hmm. I'm I'm gonna flip it on the other side, and I'm gonna go with either Cole Palmer and Sterling. <clears throat> the reason I say that is because two players who I haven't even mentioned this, but two players that have not been called up for England internationals. Although Cole Palmer's in the under twenty one squad, but he should be in the senior squad. Um, no Man City very well, and I think I know it doesn't really go much anymore. You know, in terms of. You know, it doesn't really make it, it doesn't matter who you used to play for. But I just think, you know, going into that team with the mindset of beating your previous club, I think that will, that will, that will be something in Sterling, there'll be something in Cole Palmer that he might just want to prove a bit more of a point than maybe Nicholas Jackson. And I just don't see enough from Nicholas Jackson in that. You know, I try to, I think he's a really good striker. I don't think he should be the main striker at Chelsea. I think that's the, the assessment of him that he's, going to be a very good striker but I think he should be learning from an Erling Haaland or a Harry Kane or a, someone who's a bit more developed ahead of him you know I think I don't think he should be the main striker at the moment so we're kind of stuck in this position where we kind of have to play him but we do have options we do have Nicola, uh, not, we have Raheem Sterling we have Cole Palmer that can both fill in and play that role slightly and effectively we might I mean, imagine we're 2-0, 3-0 up against Man City. It probably will never happen, but if it did, then we could bring on Nicholas Jackson. Um, I would rather do that than play Nicholas Jackson for 60 minutes and then bring on Cole Palmer or bring on Raheem Sterling or throw Mudrick into the team to chase the game when we should be kind of trying to do it the other way around, if that makes sense. So... um, I'm tempted to change my mind now after your, your arguments. I feel like maybe yeah, I'd go I with a, a Sterling Palmer striker, maybe option. They're both, I mean, they're both both right, you know, because as you said, you know, confidence is high for Nicholas Jackson. You could see it after the game. He was on cloud nine. He scored a hat trick. He got the match ball and he was buzzing. You could see it when he was talking with uh, with Sky and Cole Palmer at the end of the end of the game. But I just think this is, a, this is too big of a gamble. And the fact that we could probably get three points against City, um, try and bump up the table slightly I mean we could end up going ninth or 8th I mean what what a way to be a Chelsea fan 8th or ninth in the league at the start of uh, November but um, yeah we need to gain momentum and if we can grab 3 points against City at home um, at Stamford Bridge I think we should play the, t- the team for me that is in the best form 
And I know people can say Nicholas Jackson got a hat trick, but that doesn't cow out all the bad stuff that we've watched under Nicholas Jackson under the past couple of weeks for me. So it's a good point. It's tough. Yeah, it's tough. I, mean, I, I, I watch you, and I feel like, like you said, he's good, but he's not good enough to be the main guy. Yeah. I think he needs to learn from a prolific number nine, and he reminds me a bit of that profile of player of Louis Kimi of Mishibashiwai, yeah, yeah. who pops up yeah, with yeah. goals. They're good, but they're not good enough to play every minute of every game. And especially in the big games, which is the Chelsea Man Cities and those type of games where you need a striker who you can almost bet your house on is going to get you a goal. Like the Harlands, the Canes, the Diego Costas, the Drogba's, those type of strikers. And he's not that guy, unfortunately. Yeah, just before we do predictions, I don't know if you got to see Diego Costa who's playing. I think in, he must be back in Brazil. I'll have to send you the clip afterwards. And there was a he's he's back to his old tricks, like ruffling feathers uh, in Brazil, arguing with with players. Shit has Shit has Really, shit has me. I'll try and find a clip and send it you afterwards. But it's uh, yeah, he's back up. He's still doing his old tricks. So he hasn't he hasn't changed. Just for anyone who's uh, wondering. But um, let's go to predictions because let's start with our lineups and. I, I, I assume most of it is probably self-explanatory, but let's start with the goalkeeper and make our way to our attackers. So who, who are you going for? Assuming it's Robert Sanchez in goal. Yeah, it's got to be Robert Sanchez. I thought his distribution was look a lot better against um, against City. A bit shaky again against Blackburn. Um, but I think if you're not, you're not going Sanchez, it's Petrovic. And Petrovic hasn't started a single game for us. So it's got to be Sanchez. I think back four, um, it's got to be Cucurella, Silva... <laughs> This is what I'm unsure about who to partner Silver with because this Sassi was very impressive against um, Tottenham, I thought. I'm going to go with Sassi, which means you bench Colwell. And I'm going to go with Bruce James as the captain and the right back. Um, midfield free, Enzo, Caicedo, Gallagher, and that's if Enzo's fit. Hopefully he is. Yeah. And then front free, Sterling, Palmer, Mudrick, perhaps? Yeah. That's my team. That is my only my only sort of change possibly would be Badiashil. Over over DCC. Mm, possibly. Possibly. Yeah. Possibly. Uh, I like him. I like him more. I think he, he, he's, he's a bit more comfortable on the ball for me than the Zazi. He's taller both, as well, both, bigger for set pieces, perhaps. Um, precise, yeah. So that would be my only, and that's very harsh sort of change. That's I don't disagree with your lineup at all because I think that's the line we would have to go with. Um, but I know that's not the line that we'll go with. I think I think Jackson will be playing. I think Koa will be playing. I think it wouldn't surprise me if you go back to a back five. I'm, I was I'm thinking half, that. I really think Pochettino is on the. He's literally thinking I need to start going back to this back five formation. Oh, I do. Yeah, there's an option to go with a back five now. We've got a lot of fit centre-backs. We've yeah. got our, our wing-backs fit as well. Um, but yeah, I know five, ten minutes ago I said I want to start with Jackson, but you've persuaded me now to go with a Palmer-Sterling option. So I think I'm going to stick with the lineup I said, but I would not I would be more than happy if I saw Bedia Shield or even maybe Colwell to partner Silva as the centre-backs. Yeah, it's a good it's a good option to have, you know. I mean, we, we were struggling with centre-backs a couple of seasons ago. Now we've got too many that we... We're picking and fighting over who needs to start with silver, but um, yeah, I mean it, it's it's going to be a tough game. I mean, I'm just looking at the possible lineup for um, Man City. You know, Edison, Carl Walker, Ruben Diaz, um, Gavardiol, Kovacic, Rodri. Obviously, Kovacic coming back to Stamford Bridge as well. Um, Good reception, got, you think? Uh, yeah, I think he will. I don't think he'll get a bad one. I think he. I think yeah, he'll he'll get a good one. But the Jorginho's mountain habits, I think, 
they oh, they're kind of burn all bridges be, now at Chelsea. They'll be spicy uh, for all the wrong reasons. But yeah, so we've got uh, Doku, Bernardo Silva, Julian Alvarez, Phil Foden and Erling Haaland up front. So when you think of it, like this is what I said before, our defence has, and our midfield, but our defence has to be spot on. It has to be because you look at Bernardo Silva, you look at Alvarez behind Erling Haaland and then you've got Foden and Doku on the wings. I mean, it's... I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to sleep on a Saturday night. I really don't. And I don't know how those defenders are going to sleep Saturday night because that is a serious attack from City. So, um, yeah, we'll have to see. But let's go for predictions before we wrap up. Um, as always, you normally go first. I'm going to keep the tradition going. Yeah, I think we'll get our first goal against Man City since May 2021. Um, but I think it's going to come in a defeat, a close defeat. I think we're going to lose 2-1 to Man City. I think we're going to lose 3-1 I do I don't think our defence is going to be from what I got to see against Spurs and I, and this is probably me thinking Potichino won't choose a lineup. we've just decided I think he'll go with Cowell left back and then he'll fit in Dezazi or Baddy Shield with Thiago Silva and I think that will work, that will ruin us because Cowell will not be able to cope with Foden or whoever's on that right side. Carl Walker will be on that right side, I'd assume as well, getting forward as and when. You know, Bernardo Silva's behind him, Alvarez. So I just, if we do go with with Cole Palmer, um, sorry, not Cole Palmer, Levi Cowell at left back, I think we'll be off. Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm lost for words already, so God help me when it gets to Sunday at five o'clock when we're 2-0 down. Just as long as Haaland doesn't do the drug bus celebration in front of the Chelsea fans. Yeah, I did see the post. I did see the post. It was um it was it was it from the Ballon d'Or, was it? I think yeah, they it told I think him to do it. Gary Lineker was kind of like brainstorming ideas of Haaland for his next goal celebration and Drugba happened to be on stage <laughs> and Drugba said, Why don't you go for my kind of trademark <laughs> little hands to the sides? Well. No, and did he did it, it against the young boys. He did it, yeah. So yeah, you can't rather, do Sanford Bridge. You can't yeah, do you it. can't. It's almost just <laughs> yeah massive shit <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 exactly so um but yeah no we i mean look it's, it's a game that we've got every chance of winning i think if we put out the right team and we played to the ability that we can but i, I just think looking at that squad if, if city go for that I, I, i'm sticking with my 3-1 i can't see anything past that it's um it's an uphill struggle if you go one nil down against city and that's the problem if they if they score one goal you need to score three and that's for me, the problem. Yeah, that's going to be so. a tough Sunday, 4.30. It's, it's a big one, but I'm nervously excited, but I think more nervous than excited given all yeah. the, the list of players you just listed from City's squad. Oh, I didn't yeah. even do the bench. I haven't got to the yeah, bench. Oh, Grealish, God. Stones, God knows yeah. who. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, But listeners, viewers, if you're watching after the live stream, make sure you let us know your comments, your thoughts, your predictions in the comments below and make sure you go to the audio version of the podcast and listen to the audio version before Sunday as well, maybe on the way to the match if you're on the tube or you're driving down from somewhere or driving up from somewhere on the motorway um and yeah theo as always thank you very much it's always a pleasure and we'll be back next week with another episode